when I was choosing this passage a month or so ago now, and even when I was thinking of it in the early part of the week, it was quite clear in my mind where I was going. Jacob, the cheater, who is cheated. Jacob, the son of Isaac, the grandson of Abraham. And as we see in this passage, the son-in-law of Laban. But even as I started to write the sermon and started to put those labels onto him, it's a very patriarchal thing that we start seeing, isn't it? It's the men. It's all about the men. The women are given a low place in society. And to put that into the context of this weekend and the thousands, if not the hundreds of thousands, that yesterday were marching for rights as women to be heard in this country and around the world, it can lead to someone like myself that likes to think of themselves as a modern man even if I'm not always, to, to see problems with what's happening in the passage. To think just what is going on here. Jacob is at least 40 years old by this point, at the start of the passage. And so he's quite close to my age by the time of the marriage to Leah. Asked what payment Jacob would like, he calls for the youngest daughter's hand in marriage. Rachel and her sister are seen to be the property of their father, Laban. And this is not challenged at all in the text. And a price each of seven years is put upon them. Viewed one way, it might be that seven years is a considerable value. Seven being a number often in the Bible showing completeness. And so there's a sense of dedication there. But then viewed another way, they're seen simply as a deal. Not as human, but as a possession. One can see clearly that Jacob longs for Rachel. The passing of time that goes on is but like a few days. He is smitten. But to ask for her as payment means we must declare this culture wrong. Oh, it's old times, you're probably sat there thinking, as quite often I have on reading the passage. It's old times. This doesn't happen. It's not like possession. But that is a wrong approach on two grounds. Firstly, such a sense of possession does still exist in many societies and cultures today. 
not only in eastern attitudes, but also in the west, with perceived ownership often leading to domestic violence. Even in the church, it's only in comparatively recent times that a minister such as myself might, at a wedding, start to move away from those words, who gives this woman to be married? And choose more suitable wording, such as who brings as the father comes with the bride. And the second aspect that makes it unsuitable is not necessarily about the place of women, but over the whole question of that payment, the need for a payment. In Genesis 14, when Abram had won a battle and returned the people of Sodom to the king, he would not accept a gift or payment for his efforts. Only the food and the share that was due him and his men. And the Lord then declares at the start of chapter 15, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. We can see, therefore, right at the start of the story of God's people, as the numbers of stars in the sky are being shown, and the number of future children are being talked of, God is saying, do not look for your reward among the people of the earth. Do not look for your reward among the riches that other people might seek. Your reward is in me. Jacob is, by contrast, looking for the biggest human reward he can imagine. A human. A wife. A wife who will bear him children to fulfill what God has already promised him. What reward do you look for? Do you, as you take on a task, say, this is my prize, this is what I'm seeking? Is it glory? Is it riches? Or are you searching for simply what you need in life, the food, the accommodation, enough to keep you going. Jacob probably gets what he deserves. He is the one who normally engages in trickery. He awakes the morning after his wedding to see that he has been played for a fool. Leah was obviously willing to go along with her father's plan, and she kept her identity secret in the dark. But I do struggle with how Jacob didn't realise what was going on. Unless, of course, it was the fact that it was late in the day. 
he'd already been celebrating extensively. He'd been ready for this night for seven years, and he failed to look at the face. Again, a woman devalued. I imagine the sight of his new bride not being who he'd done that work for rather sobered him up quickly in the morning. And off he goes to see the father-in-law. I think perhaps some of the wording is put mildly here as to that conversation that takes place. I'm not sure that he entered into it gently and peacefully. But then again, I wonder how he would have reacted had his slightly older twin come to him the day after a bowl of stew had been traded for a birthright. Would he have come to an amicable agreement? I doubt it. He soon demonstrated in that case his trust and faithfulness again as he cheated his father for the family blessing too. Cheating is the way of Jacob. But we see the value and independence of women again dismissed in our passage. Leah gets but one one week as the sole wife before Rachel is added to the family. And how could such a family exist? How could they live as two wives? How could it work? And the answer is, it doesn't work. We must remember that just because something is in the Bible, just because Jacob gets two wives, it doesn't mean it's all right to have two wives. And we see immediately, if you carry on reading the story, that things go wrong. He shows his love to one. But God is kind and compassionate. God loves both women. God blesses Leah with sons in the hope that Jacob will awaken and see some light. God takes the situation which has been developed through humans doing what humans do, greed, wrath, gluttony, sloth, pride, envy, lust, takes those things that we do wrong and says, I'm going to have to do something new. We mess it up But God gives a new opportunity. God will take our greatest mistakes 
and still try and bring us back to his plan. The father-in-law, through his conniving, has led his eldest daughter into a marriage that is not all it could be. The son-in-law treats his wives unfairly. And this, in time, will play out in how he treats his sons. Favouring the boys that are born of his beloved wife, as opposed to the one that he neglects. Favouring Joseph, born of Rachel, giving him a special coat, contributing to the jealousy of brothers. It all starts here. But God even used that jealousy as he worked his plan for his people. We might look at the world and wonder, how do things come to be this way? We might wake up in the morning and say, what a mess we're living in. Why have things not panned out the way we wanted? I guess that was what it was like back in November for the campaign team for Hillary Clinton. I guess that's what it was like for those that had campaigned for Remain back in June. They had each invested so much time, so much effort, and were now broken-hearted. Like Jacob that morning seeing Leah, the results were in and the world seemingly come to an end. The weeks and months that pass might not be easy. But we should never fear because God is there. Whatever decision, God can do something new. Whether or not the choice was what he wanted, the plan will come out. Jacob here failed to follow as closely as he should have. He shouldn't have asked for Rachel's hand in return for labor. That should have come a different way. And we might get things wrong too. We might fail to love our neighbor in the same way as we love ourselves. But we can pray that we may be strengthened and guided by God's Holy Spirit, that we may in future serve rightly and see the flourishing of the kingdom, the kingdom in which there is no east or west, no Jew or Gentile, no slave or free, no male or female, but a unity of his people. Amen.